This is Brian Cruz, uh, and some of you might be able to work out that uh, my sister's uh, married to a Cruz, right? So there, there's an interwoven family here as well. As, but we grew up in the same church, yeah. and we, we both belonged to incredibly committed religious families, didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is what happens to you, <laughs> okay, so, so be, be wary of this. So I remember, it's okay if I, I remember your dad was a lay reader. He was. In the parish. Yeah. Sunday school superintendent? Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we lived in this funny parish, St. Elizabeth's, and I always say funny because it planted a daughter church in Ballybean called St. Mary's that we then became very active in. Uh, so my mum would have been a Sunday school superintendent in St. Mary's. Yeah. Your mum was a GV captain. And organist. And organist. Yeah. And that takes us to another wee story, I'll, I'll tell. Uh, that, and Brian and I became the youth leaders in St. Mary's Ballybean. Uh, and oh, this dear. does connect to Beaver Parish, because if any of you have seen the photographs of when this place was first being launched, it was initially started in a wooden hut, a wooden hall. When you were finished with the wooden hall here in Ballybean, it was taken apart, put on a lorry, and resurrected in Ballybean, here in Beaver. It reappeared in Ballybean, and that was the church that we were in. It was the same hall, uh, went from Beaver to Ballybean. Uh, we just didn't have a bomb at any point. There was a bomb at All this right, place. Okay. So anyway, Brian and I reached the peak of our ministry as young people in the church, where, as Brian said, his mum was the organist, and she reached a point where being the organist as well as GB captain and uh, everything else that was part of her life was all too much. So she stood down from that. And Brian and I took over, right? <laughs> now, Brian knew how to play the guitar, but knew nothing about the piano, really, did you? Apart from some Just transferred chords from the guitar to the piano. Okay, right. And I conducted. <laughs> okay. So between us, we took choir. So, Jeffrey, watch yourself, because you see here... On the stage, it's all. That's okay. Don't worry, because <laughs> I remember. Oh no! I remember we were singing. Um, we were singing the I hymn "Hallelujah, it. Sing to Jesus." You know that, right? Uh, and what I needed to play the guitar chords was "Hallelujah, Sing to Jesus." Yes. Okay. So that was the tune that I knew, but no, the because I, I couldn't play introductions, Nath or. Uh, Adrian started to sing. So he, he sang that one. So I was ready to go. He sang that. And I just folded my arms. And we sang it. <laughs> we sang it without music. But it was lovely. <laughs> Brian, Lord, would you bless Brian today? <laughs> Give him generosity of spirit as he brings your word to us. Yeah. Uh, just help him. Let this be uh, a great moment for us as a family together. As Brian shares some thoughts from your heart with us. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you Brian. Over to you. So have I put this thing on? Am I on? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, yes, th thanks, Adrian, for the welcome. Genuinely, it's lovely to be here for a whole lot of reasons that I won't go into. But all of us have um, special people, I think, that appear in our lives now and then. Um, and as Adrian indicated, we have been part of each other's lives for a long time. But um, for Charlene, my wife and myself, uh, Adrian and Janice have been there at really significant times all through uh, our adolescence and our youth and our growing up. And I know for me, um, Adrian was there and 
Probably he doesn't realize, but um, he spoke and ministered into my life for a long time as part of a, I was going to say men's group, but as a boys' group, um, and youth fellowship and all the other things. Janice um, was the leader of Charlene's small group, and again, Charlene would talk about times of Janice being there for her and just the fellowship that they enjoyed. So, um, as well as being related somewhat, um, uh, I'm really thankful uh, for Adrian and Janice. So thank you, because uh, uh, we don't really get a lot of opportunities in life, I think, to say thank you to those people. That means so much. So thanks. And thanks for the invitation to come and share with you. Um, and what uh, the theme is, as if by magic, um, can I say, first of all, Happy Father's Day to those who want to be happy on Father's Day. Um, I have been... Uh, I, I left my parish um, at the end of March for reasons uh, of ill health, really. Um, and once uh, I had to move house, I went through a lot of stuff um, that I didn't need anymore. And one of the biggest things that I don't need anymore uh, was a study. Um, we have now an office, a family office, but not a study. Um, and I went through a lot of paper stuff that I just threw out. But I came across um, a file, a paper file, where I'd recorded over the years the sermons that I'd preached, just in terms of where I'd preached them and what was the theme, just in case I went back to somewhere and didn't want to preach the same thing. Um, but I'm normally not invited back, so that's all right. Uh, <clears throat> and I looked at the Mother's Sunday, Mothering Sunday sermons, and they were variations on the theme really. It was all, let's celebrate mothers. And we all got the kids to sing, thank you Lord for Mother's Day. And then add in various verses after that. And do all the things, make up wee posies and daffodils. And every year there's a variation on that theme. But it was celebratory. It was fun. It was great. And yes, we were sensitive to the actualities of some people that motherhood was just not their experience. And it can be a very painful day as well. As well as maybe losing a mother. But that was a general theme. And then I looked at the Father's Day sermons, and that was completely different. The general theme for Father's Day was, Happy Father's Day, but how can you be better fathers? What can you do to make yourselves better at this job? What can you do so that your fathering is uh, more what Christ wants us to be? And all that kind of stuff is a teaching, harsh kind of theme, very often. Uh, just as I looked through this um, this history. Sorry, that should be on the next screen. Sorry. And there is a difference, I think, between Mother's Day and Father's Day. So when Adrian asked me to speak about Father's Day, um, I found it quite difficult. One, because I hadn't preached for a long time, so I was getting back into doing sermons again. Um, but also, just what do you say that you haven't heard before on a Father's Day? I've gone to the next screen. Um, and what I think happens is what happens to a lot of Christian thought and a lot of our lives as Christians. You see, I think that we are basically rule-based. We love rules. No matter what area of society we're in, but also in Christian church, life just seems more straightforward. Some can tell us what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. And it's almost the kind of thing where we grip our fists 
and clench them and say, I'm going to try really hard to be a good Christian this week. I'm going to pray for at least 15 minutes a day. I'm going to read a chapter a day. I'm going to try to be nice to people. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to try not to lose my temper. And we, we almost approach our Christian faith with this determination that we are going to try to succeed because that's what we have to do as people, whether it's work or school or whatever. We need to succeed. And sometimes that goes into a theme like today, Father's Day, but also into a lot of areas of our Christian lives. So what I want us to do today uh, is not just think about Father's Day, but it could apply to all of us in our, our reflection of what are we called to be as Christians. And the one thing that I think I, I want to start to stir up is this notion of rule keeping. The idea that Christianity is all about reading the Bible, finding out what the Bible teaches about a certain thing, make sure that we understand how we're not meeting those standards, and then trying really hard to meet those standards and how we live. And of course we're going to fail, because we always do. We never get it right all the time. And what replaces rules is a real sense of guilt because we've failed. And just wondering what it's all about. And for some people they think, well this is a lot of nonsense, I'm going to walk away from it all. Life is less stressful if I don't need to think about rules. Christianity was okay as long as I felt I was doing the business. But life's a lot less stressful without having to worry about that. Now those are overgeneralizations, but I think there's a reality about it. And rather than having that understanding of what God, what the Bible teaches us to be and do, rather than that determination, I want to suggest that there might be another way to think about not only fathering, but also Christian living in general. It's not just about rules. In fact, there's very little to do about rules. But it's more to do about something else. I love imagining things. And very often, uh, I imagine the conversations that God the Father had with his son up in heaven. Um, a long number of years ago, there were a couple of guys, not, they lived not far from here, um, Alistair Stewart and Chris Kyle. And they used to sing and they recorded albums. So on. There's one of the songs that they sang um, was a conversation about uh, between God the Father and the Son called Will You Go? And it was about a conversation that supposedly happened in heaven where the Father said to Jesus, listen, the world's a mess and people don't know where, what's going on and what to do. They're trying this rule-based thing and it's not working. Would you ever go down and walk the, the face of the earth and teach people and show people how to relate to me? I'm your dad. Will you go down and by the way you live, what you say, what you do, will you show people the way to me? Try to help people understand who I am and what I am. Will you go and say they'll hate you for it? They'll misrepresent you. They'll tell lies about you. They'll even kill you. But will you go? Because I need people to know who I am and what I am. So that they don't keep going thinking the way they are thinking about rules. And of course we know that he came and he did exactly that. 
And what happens, I think, is that we can get locked into a period of time, again, if we're thinking that rules work, where depending on the culture of the day and where we live, we work out our Christian understanding and our Christian behavior in terms of what was on a particular time. So, for instance, well-meaning people who thought this was the way to um, obey God, let's chain up all the, the swings in our parks so that the kids cannot swing on a Sunday because that would be sin. The first time that we as a family went to the cinema was to see this brand new film, The Sound of Music. And suddenly, at home, when we were told all the time, cinema's wrong, picture house is bad, we suddenly could go to see The Sound of Music. TV on a Sunday was a no-no. There's no way you can do that. You can't wear ordinary clothes on a Sunday, you have to wear other clothes. You can't play with your toys, but you can read a book or do a jigsaw. Seemingly those are less sinful than playing whatever. And as time went on, all the rules that were said to us, this is what you need to keep if you are going to be a Christian. It just seems so awful and boring. What I also remembered was that these things changed. What used to be a rule, a steadfast rule, after a while changed. And suddenly it was okay to do something. We could watch TV on a Sunday. I think because my mum liked Onidia line, that was maybe part of the issue, the redemption. But um, that was the kind of stuff, the attitude. And I think it exemplifies an awful lot of our understanding of faith, of God, of fathering, and of Father God. And the problem is that because culture changes, and if we're still based in rules, there's a disconnect with the authenticity of the church. We always seem to be ten steps behind other people, or where life is. Let alone understanding that the culture that we have here, over in Africa, or South America, is completely different. And therefore, their set of rules are different from our set of rules, sometimes contradictory. But we are persuaded and we are convinced that our rules are right. And God is really pleased with us. And so what can happen is what has happened here. Have you noticed the problem? This is the Cho, I have to write it out phonetically. This is the Cho La Taco River in Honduras. It was a fairly new bridge that was built over the river so that it would cut down the, the, the travel that people had to do because of the river. And back at the time of Hurricane Mitch, if you remember that, such was the devastation of that hurricane that the river the route of the river was changed. All of a sudden, this bridge went from being sensible and great to being totally outdated. It's a bridge to nowhere. It didn't cross over anywhere, and the river, again, was really hard to cross. 
And that's the problem with rule-based things. Because culture changes and humanity grows and the problems facing young people today differ. Like when I think back to the stuff that Adrian and Janice had to counsel us over back in the day with pathetic wisdom. No, only joking. Um, <clears throat> compared to what is being faced nowadays, it's incredible. And that's in one lifetime. And culture and life has changed so much. So what I have to do? How can we father, or how can we think about fathering in a way that isn't rule-based, but is something different? Does the Bible teach us something different? Well, I think it does. And this is a way to try to understand it. Have you ever been told you need to live, live a balanced life? Yeah? You need to get the balance right in life. I don't know about you, but balancing is really exhausting. It's tiring. And since my um, bout of ill health, uh, my legs got weak. And balancing is even difficult. Even to get up a chair, I need to stand still for a while, get the balance, and then I can move off. Balancing is exhausting. We've all seen the circus act with the pipe and the board and trying to balance is just exhausting. So to lead a balanced life, I think, is very difficult. And I much prefer to think in terms of blend. That the blend of life is important to get right. And the thing about blending is that that can change given the circumstances. No matter what we're trying to make or no matter what we're doing, we can change the blend, the ingredients of life. I lost um, mum and dad back in 2019, within a couple of months of each other. And I know for that time, the blend of my life had to change for a while. Because of the circumstances, I needed to be more available to them, and go over to see them, and be with them, and take them to appointments, and so on. And therefore, the blend of my life Change, that was fine. I could drop other things out for a while, take on the new ingredients that had to be part of my life. And it's easier to change the blend rather than constantly try to keep balance, no matter what is blowing in our faces or going on all around us. When the surface of what we're trying to balance upon changes, it's really hard to keep balance. But blend, well, that's a bit easier to with. All of what I've said up to now, I hope is a kind of introduction to the kind of thinking that I'm suggesting we might adopt when thinking about fatherhood. And indeed how we think about our faith in general. And I'm going to use this story. It's interesting in that Adrian and I, we, we talked and I said I'd, I might set over Bible reading or pictures and of course I never did. Uh, and then I got the opening sentences of the liturgy today. And I too am going to look at the story um, of the prodigal son. We're going to put the slide on. Oh, sorry. I'm one ahead of myself. Yes. Uh, the notion, uh, I'll just stick with that, of fathering like the father is what I'm trying to suggest. Back to the conversation with uh, Jesus about going down to earth. What I think God was trying to say, and we, we talk about incarnate God and Emmanuel God with us, is that 
he was basically trying to say, Jesus, go to earth and teach them that for the fathers, they're to father like the father. For others, they're to live like the father. In points of hurt, anger, distress, whatever, look to see what the father does and accept that and then grow to be more like the father. So that's the, the premise, really, of what I'm trying to suggest. But on to the story in the Bible. We read it in Luke and in Matthew. I'm not going to go through it all because you know the, the story so well. But I do want to mention what happened at a certain point. I'm going to pick up the story where the son has gone through all his wild and uh, debauchery living and decides to come home. And in his mind, his basis of going home was, well, at least as home, I know that there's somewhere that I can sleep and there's somewhere I can get some food. So he says, I, I, I don't deserve anything. I totally ripped my dad off. I behaved terribly about asking for my money before I was due to get it. I showed total lack of respect, not only to the traditions um, of family and life, but I've just messed up completely at every level. But at least we're better off at home rather than these stinking pigsties. So he goes and as he walks, he decides to make a speech. He said, I'm going, I'm going to fall on my face. And, and I think he was totally genuine. Fall on my face and say, Dad, I don't even deserve to call you Dad anymore. But please let me come and be a slave. Let me live, live in the shed with the other guys. I don't want anything special. I've messed up so much, I don't deserve anything. So that was his mindset going. And then we see this amazing picture of a dad, probably three times, four times a day, wandering out of his gate, looking down the road both ways with the hope to see something. He was certain that his son was dead to him. And certainly culturally and in every way, the son was dead. Even if he was alive, he could never be like he was because he had broken all the rules. And as he approached the dad, wondering what was saying, the dad saw him first a long way off. And the dad ran. I'm a dad, and I would struggle to run the length of myself. But he ran as an older dad towards his son. And some things happened. Go to the next screen. From a far way off, the dad ran. No one of this man's age or standing would ever allow himself to be seen to be running. He forwent that and he ran towards his son. As the guy um, fell on his face and started to talk about, uh, give a speech, the dad changed his position and lifted him up and gave him a hug. And they embraced, probably tears, the son probably didn't know what was going on. But the dad was sure. 
and he held on to his son and he hugged him, he changed his position and the reality of what the son felt. And then he gave him gifts. He gave him a cloak. And that cloak, this guy was in in, uh, rags, but the cloak signified that he was this man's son. It was probably a cloak that had been handed down the family. It was a special cloak. It was put around his shoulder to signify, you are my son. And he got a ring, put the ring on his finger. And he said, more than that, with this ring, you have authority once more. You have authority and you have a place and a position that comes from being my son. Put sandals on his feet. Slaves and servants, they didn't wear sandals. They weren't allowed to. So I'm putting the sandals on the feet. All that the son thought was going to happen about just coming back to be a slave and servant, maybe get the same kind of food as them, that was not going to happen. He was restored as a full-fledged son. And then they have the calf. The special beast that was kept always being fed, always being fattened up, never entertained to be sold in the market. It was kept for that occasion whenever someone special would come to visit the house. A special person. Honoured person. And the fattened calf was to be killed and let's party. They're going to celebrate the fact that this guy who was dead to the father and to the family circle was alive again. The older brother didn't get it. The older brother, you see, he was still rule-based in his living. He was filled with rules and therefore he was filled with judgment and accusation and failure and excuses for not loving. The older brother didn't get it. But the father said, you know, my son was dead to me. But now I have welcomed him back as my son. How do we father like the father? By being the father. And I think if we can get that right in our mind then the kind of practical things that we all need to do as parents in trying to help our kids weave their way through this difficult life. And even when the kids become men and women, we still are available. Not to fix our kids. Not to try to prevent them necessarily from doing the things that we think or thought or are taught not to do. But our responsibility is to live and be like the Father. To love uncontrollably. To love consistently. To be generous and not condemnatory. To always provide a place in our home where no matter where our kids have gone to, there's a place and warmth at the fire anytime where they choose to come home. 
that we check our own minds and our own attitudes so that we don't become hard-hearted towards our kids, that we don't give up about our kids, that we make sure that we love on them as much as we can, that we represent God the Father's attitude to our kids, to make them feel secure, even when they don't understand it or don't appreciate it, but to allow them to feel they can come back anytime. And if we've messed up and we haven't done that, we're sure that's what we're saying we do as kids. Every one of us here, we've messed up somewhere in our lives. And if we think that we haven't, if we think we've got every decision right, well then we're deluded. Because that's not the way we are. In fact, we're taught that. Every one of us has sinned. We've gone our own way. But the wonderful love of the Father and His mercy welcomes us back and changes our status. So what we are the intricate love of God the Father's life. And all we're asked to do as parents is to do the same for our kids especially when they mess up. I want to say just one thing as a finish. There are times that, as Adrian introduced the service, he he asked us to allow this time to be a time where we can be honest. And if we have resentment about the way we're brought up by our fathers. Or if we have got embarrassments by the way we were parents, then we need to open that up to God and hear the voice and picture him changing our position to make us acceptable. Nathan is our eldest kid. He's now in his 30s. But when he was young, um, very young, we went to visit his granny, Charlene's mum in Dundonald. And outside her house, there was a, a little bit of grass, a green they called it. And there was a path around that where all the kids played. And we were heading out somewhere that night. And therefore, we were there for the day, allowed them to play, and then to get ready to go out, we brought Nathan in and we got his good clothes on to go out. Got them all washed, cleaned, and out he went. And then we got ready and helped the other members of the family get ready. It came the time to go, and we said, where's Nathan? And we'd warned him to keep himself clean. But where was he? He'd gone outside, and he'd met with all the cousins and, and friends, and they were playing football on a um, wet, soaking wet grass, which was all mud, and you can imagine. I saw this boy in his lovely clean clothes covered in muck. And uh, it's one of the moments where I didn't lose it. (laughs) But he came and he knew exactly what had happened. And Nathan was, was a kind of sensitive fella. And he came, tears in his eyes. And he walked up to me to stand at the door of Granny's house. And I looked at him. And he looked at me, and he just reached out his arms, 
and said, Daddy, do you love me anymore? And all I could do was give him a hug, lifted him up, and I said, Nathan, be sure of this. No matter what you do, now as a kid or later as an adult, no matter what you do, I will always love you. And then he said, but do you want me to be your boy anymore? And I said to him, Nathan, nothing will ever change the fact that you're Nathan Cruz. You can do nothing that will take that name away. And I just hugged him and loved him. I said, I prefer you not to have done that, but that does not change who you are to me and who I am to you. Nothing. And I just say the same to all of us, that there's nothing that you've done or I've done, no regrets that we ever have that can say to God, God, I know you're finished with me. That never happens. And sometimes we just need to receive that and accept that. So that we know, that we know and feel it. Um, And even when we don't feel it in our minds, we remind ourselves of it. That nothing can take me away from being the child of God. No mess up. No mistake, nothing. And how do we, Father? That we constantly, constantly witness to that fact. But the Francis of Assisi that seemingly said, we are to witness consistently and we're to witness completely and we're to witness every occasion and when all else fails, then use words. Words come so easily, but what people want to know and our children need to know is that by our actions and who we are and what we are, they are loved. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are loved. There's nothing that we have ever done. There's no failure so big There's no memory of something that is so bad that you have stopped loving us. Father, pray for all of us today that we may know that and receive that and help us in all our Christian living, whether mothers or fathers or no matter what we do, help us to be you the best of our ability because we have become more like you and who we are.